0: Noteworthy Stories by WDAV Classical Public Radio celebrate the rich diversity of classical music's past, present, and future that's often overlooked. The weekly series, hosted by me, Loki Karuna, serves up bite-sized stories about the lives and music of artists of color, women, and others from historically underrepresented groups. Check out this week's Noteworthy Artist and catch up on past episodes at noteworthyclassical.org. opus of the Triloquy podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm Loki Karuna. A pleasure as always to have you along. Shout out to the longtime listeners, and shout out to you if you're relatively new to Triloquy. This show was built to decolonize classical music, both in word and in aesthetic. And I do that here each week by highlighting something in the field or in the world that connects with this idea of decolonization, challenging the status quo, you know, as well as by showcasing conversations that I have with people in and outside of the industry who are also doing the work in their own unique way. For more information on the Triloquy podcast, to listen to past opuses and to contribute to Triloquy, visit our website, T-R-I-L-L-O-Q-U-Y dot O-R-G. Huge thanks once again to WDAV Classical Public Radio for their support of the Triloquy Podcast, in addition to our friends at Crowd Influence. If you check out the description of this opus or if you go over to our website, you'll find a link with some really cool coupon codes for Nike. I don't know about you, but I gotta keep my forces and my Jordan 1s nice and fresh. And sometimes that just requires a new pair, right? If you're looking to shop at Nike anytime soon. Don't do it without checking out the coupons and promo codes that you can find by clicking the link in the description of this opus. Thanks again to Crowd Influence for your support. So back in Opus 178 of Triloquy, I featured a conversation with soprano Maria Clark and pianist Dr. Maria Corley. They had recently uh, released an album, Negro Spirituals, and we had a really great conversation about what it means to make sure that music and that tradition gets to the next generation. Well, Dr. Maria Corley has a daughter who is a musician as well. Her name is Kiana Corley, and she's been creating some really incredible stuff. Many uh, folks, maybe even most folks wouldn't consider her music classical, but here on Triloquy, my use of that term is completely decolonized. So I'm excited to share the conversation that I had with Kiana here in a few minutes, in addition to giving you a sample of some of her work. I also have a Triloquy to share with you this week on the subject of uh, personal biographies, but first I wanted to shine a quick light on some of the latest news in this so-called classical field. So coming up on December 3rd, I know that feels like it's a long ways away, but it'll be here before you know it. On December 3rd, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra is presenting a program called Montgomery and the Blacknificent Seven. <laughs> okay, okay, let's let's break this down really quickly. In the past, I've talked about this idea of Black excellence being used as a tool to continue to marginalize Black people. It's the idea that you have to be the right type of Black person to be excellent. I argue that to be Black in America, especially these days, to have a semblance of success as defined by the individual, that is in itself Excellence. I wanted to name that because I feel like there are some people out there that might have similar feelings about the use of the word blacknificent. If you are black and you are doing your thing out here, you are magnificent. I want to make sure that's clear. And seeing the Chicago Symphony platform something like that is really interesting, even a positive as far as I'm concerned in some ways. Um, I'll read for you a bit of the description of the event. It says the 2023-24 season of Music Now illuminates works by a dynamic collective of Black composers, the Blacknificent Seven. Jasmine Barnes performs a work by Dave Raglan, and Damian Jeter joins Barnes for her world premiere uh, for Joel Thompson's In Response to the Madness, which explores the composer's angst in response to the chaos found. Today, around the world, to Raglan's Eight Tones for Elijah, which is a loving tribute to young violinist Elijah McCain, who was killed by the police on his walk home. The program surveys current social themes. Also featured are works by Chicago's own Sean Apebolo and Damian Jeter, nimble and accomplished improvisers. Chicago Symphony Orchestra Mead composer in residence, Jesse Montgomery and Carlos Simon, perform of the moment interludes woven between the other works on the program. So, again, we have Jesse Montgomery, Jasmine Barnes, Shauna Pebelow, Joel Thompson, Damian Jeter, David Ragland, and Carlos Simon, all on the same. Hall, all in the same stage, same concert hall, to show off an aspect of what it means to be black in this world of so called classical music. I know that I featured Joel and Carlos on triloquy in the past, so if you want to go back and take a listen to those conversations, feel free. I don't know the opus numbers right off the top of my head, but they're there. Uh, and I'll work on getting the rest of the uh, <laughs> black nificent seven here on triloquy uh, in the coming weeks and months. I think there's some, some nice dialogues to have around this. Uh, the Chicago Symphony hasn't paid for any underwriting here on the show so if you want to learn more go find the information on their website but i wanted to be sure to highlight that because you don't see us highlighted in orchestral spaces all that often to begin with so to see seven of the industry's brightest black stars collaborating in this way uh, with one of the so-called big five orchestras it's relatively historic so be sure to check that out if you'll be in the chicago area Of course, I have to take a quick moment to find the devil in the details. I have worked with uh, some indigenous composers in the past who have uh, basically barred me from connecting their work to other indigenous artists, especially on the same concert. The thinking uh, is that whenever native music or native experiences are showcased, they have to all be on the same stage on the same night so that the rest of the season can be dedicated to Beethoven or whoever y'all are listening to in the concert hall these days. A part of me wonders if this idea should be applied to this event as a critique of the event? What, I, what if each of these Black composers and artists were featured on a series of seven different concerts over the season? Did the Chicago Symphony just want to get them all out of the way so that they can return to Handel in a few weeks following (laughs) this concert? It is December, after all. Is this their way of saying, oh, we don't just platform Black music in February. We have a whole Black night in December, don't you see? (laughs) Speaking of February, let me go check out what they've got planned for Black History Month. Give me one moment. Okay. All right. So on a quick glance, it looks like they have Sheku Mason playing some Elgar for y'all. So... Uh, during February, an Afro-Brit showcasing the music of a fellow Brit. Hmm. Are y'all satisfied with that? <laughs> is the Black-nificent Seven enough to keep y'all satisfied in light of a predominantly white season, including a predominantly white month of programming for Black History Month by the Chicago Symphony Orchestra? Hmm. Send me a note and uh, let me know. Or not. <laughs> Either way, I think my point is made. We have to really continue to critique Find this uh, dust in the corners and realize and really understand what decolonizing concert programming, concert seasons really means. Two things can be true at the same time. Shout out and congratulations to each member of this Blacknificent Seven. And let's continue to look for that dust in the corners until our so-called classical music powerhouses, like the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, get on board with really decolonizing this thing. I would love to see one of these Blacknificent Seven, and more than just the Blacknificent Seven, showcased across the season and not just for one night. That's, that's something that we we have to continue to think about every time we see these successes, we have to think about how we go further. Duke Ellington famously said, never be satisfied. And while I celebrate the Black Nificent Seven, I'm not satisfied. I want to see Black music on every single concert in the city of Chicago with your local orchestra, the Chicago Symphony. But that's enough from me today. Again, (laughs) I'm really excited to share my recent uh, conversation uh, with you that I had with Kiana Corley. Uh, She's a Pennsylvania-raised singer and songwriter who, quote, manages to blend the effortless storytelling style of folk music with the vibe of a classic soul singer to create unique blends of the two genres. When you think about folk music, and soul. I think you should be thinking about American classical, being the daughter of an expert in piano performance and in the history of Negro spirituals. Kiana has chops. She's not some nobody out here, and her music really shows it. We're going to jump in uh, to my conversation with her with an excerpt from one of her latest tracks. It's called Bottled Up, a really great example here of what some of today's greatest artists are up to. Hope y'all enjoy this chat between myself and Kiana Corley.
1: Love bottled up for you, I want to spill it out Words bottled up in my heart, I want to free them now Feel me, won't you see me, won't you hear me more than I've ever shown Now find me, won't you try me and see all that I can give out to you I find the one to embrace every piece of me, too much weight on me flying so isn't flying free. I didn't mean to be this far from love. Honestly,
2: when I was little little I definitely rejected it because I was like I want to listen to like the popular things you know I don't know you know like I don't I don't care about this and then as I got older and I learned more about music theory and I learned more about like I just got a bigger appreciation for music as a whole rather than like what was popular you know um and I was like oh yeah like classical music like the foundations of classical music are everywhere first of all and also like the the things that my mom specifically does um are really cool like just the way that she can just meld sound is like just really not appreciated enough honestly and so um I think just an understanding of like what your choices are when it comes to chords and musical melodies and things like that's definitely had an influence on my own sound um I think probably subconsciously um yeah
0: so, so it sounds like there was more of a full rejection of classical to start, and then more of an application of how some of its aspects could be applied to to your unique taste and style.
2: Well, yeah, and when I say rejection, I'm talking like like elementary school levels and probably like middle school levels. I was like, this is boring, you know. <laughs> 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 and then, I, and then I got older, and I was like, oh no, like music is cool, just point blank, period. Like just music across the board is cool, you know. So.
0: Yeah, and I think that sort of idea of classical music being boring is, you know, born from some real lived experiences. I wonder mm-hmm. how you keep your music from being boring, how you keep uh, audiences or listeners from saying, well, I like Keanu Corley, but her music's a little boring.
2: <laughs> oh Well, I mean, I what I try to do um, is, yeah, like keep the, the chord change. Like, I'm I'm really actually very big on chords and melodies. Like that usually comes first to me, actually um sometimes I'll have a little lyrical phrase that I'll just like revisit in the future but um for the most part it's chords and melodies and so I am big on just like making sure that I can fit those in places that will like keep surprising people and also just making sure that I can like you know just just keep things not not as conventional um because I tend to get bored by things that are a little more like that, unless unless there's something really cool happening in the in the melody or like the lyrics or like you know they're saying something really profound. Like it's cool if it's like the same like one four five stuff, um, but I don't know. I, t- I tend to get a little restless over things like that. So I yeah I tend to just try and keep things as interesting as possible.
0: Yeah, I noticed that folk and uh, alt rock play sort of a role in the in the music you create. And when I think about folk and alt rock. I don't typically think of black people engaging that music even though I'm sure that there are many many that are that are out there. Is that a conversation or a narrative that you've had to actively engage so far?
2: Yeah, honestly, um cuz I um whenever I do interviews they usually bring that up because um I I grew up in a uh, like pretty folk heavy music scene actually. Hmm. It was a, it's a small town called Lancaster, Pennsylvania and um people if people have heard of it, they usually associate it with the Amish. And they're not wrong because there's a large Amish population. Like the horses and buggies have made me late to places. So um, <laughs> but wildly enough, there's also a good music scene. Like it's actually very excellent. It's not massive, but the people that participate in it are really good. And I think one of the most celebrated genres in that area is folk um and so I when I started gigging I started going to shows I started like you know opening up for people and they usually be folk artists and um I just I you know my mom never really like introduced it to me before that those moments because it just wasn't something she grew up with and so I was like this is cool like they're telling stories and it's it's so and it's close to blues you know it's close to like the things that I'm a little more familiar with and I I love it honestly, and I don't consider myself a folk artist at all. But I definitely try to draw on the whole like storytelling aspect of it um, in my music uh, when I can. So,
0: and I hate to ask this because I think generally speaking, we all need to move away from trying to fit within boxes and that sort of thing. But for the sake of people who aren't familiar with your music and your musical style, how would you uh, describe it?
2: I would say it's. Um, uh yeah okay so I would say it's like um like soul for sure it's like soulful um across the board I I, I like to say that it's soulful um like pop r&b full singer songwritery yeah so the, the 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 common umbrella is that I like to have an element of soul to every genre that I try within uh, my music
0: yeah, yeah and, I, and I would definitely say your music is incredibly soulful, despite oh. genre words and, and and that sort of thing. So, <laughs> so as you uh, are fully aware of at this point, the musical industry is quite difficult, you know there there are many aspects of it that are are quite challenging. I wonder mm-hmm. how you would compare what you were taught about pursuing a music career versus what it's actually been like for you. It's one thing for someone to say, oh, the music industry is difficult. It's another thing to actually experience some of those difficulties.
2: Yeah, so again, um, one of the greatest things about growing up with my specific mom um, is that she definitely like whenever I um I decided that I wanted to pursue music, And she was never like somebody that was like, you have to do this or you can't do this. Like she just very much let me do my own thing. And then found that I was gravitating more towards music, but it was still an industry that she wasn't really super heavy in because she's in the classical side of things. And that's very different, even though there are a lot of similarities. So whenever I like decided on it, my heart was set on it. She's like, okay, like, you know, let me just like, you know, let you know about the realities. And she told me about, you know, how long it takes to make money from things and um, like, you know, how aggressive you have to be sometimes to, you know, get in certain rooms. And um, she would just connect me with people that she thought would be helpful to me, like whenever she, um, whenever she could. And um, I was, you know, always extremely grateful for that and everything, but I never really learned everything I needed to learn until I actually, like I moved to LA um, a little over a year ago and um, it's been, it was honestly one of the greatest decisions of my life even though it's been extremely hard um and i just have run into people that i've only like i don't know the types of people people would describe in about like the music industry in LA i always was like okay well it's not can't really be like that and then you like talk to certain people and you're like oh my god like, <laughs> like you know like okay so this is why it's so hard for people to like just fight for certain percentages and this is why it's so hard for people to feel like they're taken seriously um and this is why it's important to just like really hustle in every single like networking possibility that you have so that people will take you even a little bit seriously like if they know that if they know that like you guys have a certain you know mutual friend or connect um that's like huge that's everything um yeah. And just professionalism. I've learned about like, you know, how I like actually should present myself. So people will also take me seriously. And hmm. um, yeah, it's a, uh, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot for sure. You have, you have to like, want it more than you want water, you know? Oh,
1: Otherwise-
0: <laughs> wow. wow. That's a, more <laughs> no,
2: like, like sometimes <laughs> it's like that sometimes. Cause there's, there's a times where I'm like, what am I doing? And then I was like, no, I can't think of doing anything else, you know?
0: I want to pull on that thread of professionalism that you uh, that that you mentioned. One mm-hmm. of the things that I really pride myself in is being a professional, quote unquote, on my own terms. So you know, you'll never see me in a shirt and tie, you know, ever. Yes. Yes. But that doesn't mean that I can't, you know, uh, be forward with a, a degree of professionalism. I wonder how you balance traversing these spaces and maintaining who you are as a human and as an artist.
2: Yeah. So I love that you said that because I am not a dress wearer really. I ha- I own them. I do. I do for sure. Like, and I wear them sometimes. Like, you know, if I'm with my family for Easter, like I wear it to make my grandma happy, right? But like, um, uh, in professional settings, I'll, I'll, I'll have a, a blazer um you know I'll dress well you know like I'll make myself up but even then I'm not gonna like fully make myself up because I don't really like wearing a lot of makeup and um my day-to-day is like honestly most of the time very androgynous like I that's just how I like to present myself I mean today's not really a good indication but um <laughs> like I yeah and I I think that again I mean there's definitely a uh, a thing for saying like, okay, like I want to, I believe in myself. So I want to present myself in a certain way. I'm not going to just not care about how I'm speaking and how I'm like, or how I'm conversing with people and everything. But at the same time, like I'm not going to just completely twist and morph myself into something that I'm just really not to appease, you know, like, you know, society or like, you know, certain people in that moment, because if that's the most important thing, then I don't want to want anything to do with these people.
1: Right,
2: they're not going to actually listen to me ever. Like you know, so
0: So, as and as much as we can talk about you know the challenges and how you know we have to traverse certain things, I'm sure that there are aspects of uh, entry into the music profession that you found enjoyable or maybe not so difficult, right?
2: No, yeah, like I have actually made some very good friends that also collaborate with me regularly here, um, and that's been amazing that's been so good um and uh just getting to meet other musicians and just having jam sessions and like writing together with them and just really hearing their stories and just connecting on that level it's unmatched like it's amazing and then I also just like have like taking the moments to get better at the instruments that I want to like get better at and that yeah yeah it's it's great it's great yeah actually making music is great yeah (laughs)
0: like there must be a lot of uh, side hustling in addition to the jam sessions and, and and all of these things, just you know, so you can stay afloat, so that you can eat, you have a place to live.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I'm a I'm a I'm a um, private lesson instructor, um, right. and then I also work uh, part time at a French toast place, which is like really cute to say. Um, but the private lesson instruction has definitely been my saving grace because um, I don't have to work as many hours, and so I can have that time to. Like work on my craft and pursue things um and then also but then also with private lesson instruction that's still in the music field so like i don't have to just completely stray away from it it's it's perfect in my opinion i love it so
0: do your experiences as a musician make uh make uh, a way into how you teach students do you, do you tell your students okay uh, i can teach you this stuff but just understand it's going to be tough or do, do you give those talks to your students
2: well, no, I tend, I want to make it fun. So I definitely, especially like younger students, like I definitely do it like, you know, like one, one new topic at a time. If I get somebody that's like really serious about it, then like, yeah, I'll be a little more aggressive. I mean, not like, not like harsh aggressive, but just like, okay, like, you know, you have to, you have to practice like, um, but yeah, it's, um, yeah, I, I do definitely put a lot of elements of realism in like, what I'm, what I'm saying is, especially people ask questions about like, you know, how to like relate it back to like, you know, session, session work and like, you know, gig things, like I definitely I'm like, okay, so like, this is what I'm teaching you in the moment. It might go away, but if that happens, you do this, you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, I, I just try and be as realistic as possible.
0: Yeah. I read about uh, one of your early performances where you had to deal with juggling a guitar while holding a microphone without a stand. I'm sure you have many stories like that. I, I wonder if there are any other uh, uh, stories that you could share about your early performance days.
2: Um, yeah. Well, the, OK, so the very, very first thing that I got um, I, I have a fear of bees, I hate them. I know that they're so, they're so important to our planet, I hate them. I'm just like, I'm, I'm not gonna kill them though, but I just, they're, they're scary to me. Um, and the uh, first gig and I practiced like every single day, it was the first time that I like got into regular practicing cause I was like, okay, well I have to do well. And it was outside and I played my songs and people really liked it. And then there was this giant wasp that like sat <laughs> on the top of my like tuning forks, um, my tuning knobs and i was like okay i'm just going to keep going <laughs> i'm in the middle i'm in the middle of a song like i can't i can't just stop singing and i was like tune it out like just forget it and then of course it flew it never landed like on me like it it flew away but um that was that was terrifying i hated that um and yeah the story that you just mentioned i also i love to tell because it's just one of those instances where people know they want music and they that's that's it like they don't know anything else they're just like oh i want music Mm-hmm. and they don't know anything else so I showed up and they were like okay you play guitar and you sing." here's your microphone and it was just on a, on a cable I was like oh, do you have a stand and they're like no can you hold it and I was like I need both hands to play the guitar <laughs> and they were like oh we'll figure that out okay and then there's been just like times when like they just didn't flat out did not have a sound system or only had a sound system for for like a mic and a mic stand but just nothing to make my guitar and just you know um and it's okay like it's it's always okay we always make we always make it work but man i just want, i would love for people to look into what it actually takes to have live music at certain events but that's it's okay it's fine
0: in addition to making sure that there's a mic stand there i wonder you know, for all of the venue uh, leaders or venue owners that are that are listening, what are you know just some of the things that need to be in place for an artist like you to be able to have a successful performance?
2: Well, for me specifically, I usually just have me myself and my guitar. I also have a band sometimes, um, but that's usually only in like venues or places that like know how to handle a four piece band, right?
1: Mm-hmm. But
2: um, when it's just me, like let's say like oh somebody has like grand opening of something let's have some live music you know I'm usually going to take that acoustically and so then um I uh will need a place to amplify my guitar because my guitar already has a thing to like plug in my cable you know um so I just I just need a place to plug in the other half of the cable um and then I need uh, amplification for my voice as well. Um, I have my own mic, but usually they like to supply their own. Um, but I mean, I always give them that option cause I'm more than happy to bring my own, but I mean, I'll need, um, just a thing to plug in my cable as well. So basically just ampl- amplification. Um, but like sometimes people just don't know that you need to plug in both things that are making sound, I think. I don't know. It's okay. there's, there's a lot, there's a lot that goes into like coordination of events. So I get that some things just kind of like fall by the wayside. It's cool.
0: Yeah. Um, and, but it's always
2: been a, 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 a trip, a journey when that happens.
0: In addition to thinking about those things, you know, something that I'm thinking about are all of the quote, unquote, non-musical skills that you have to develop to be an artist, you know, using digital audio workspaces, you know, editing audio. There's so many things that I've had to pick up over my years as a podcaster, you know, and I, I can only imagine that's multiplied when you're trying to be a, a musician. I wonder if you can speak to that. What's been your process of learning the technological or the other logistical things that are, that are required in, in, in being an artist these days?
2: So in my uh, actually, I was really, really fortunate to go to a small music school. Um, and uh, uh, they taught us how to use um digital audio workspaces like oh, nice. Logic and, and Pro Tools. Um, but I mean, I, it was definitely on me to take it the rest of the way because they taught us like the bare basics, and that they also taught us like what to listen for when we record things. Um. And so right now my my dog choice is Logic, and so I use it a lot to make demos. I don't consider myself a producer at all. I would love to change that in the future, but right now I can just use it well. Excuse me. I right now I can just use it well enough to um make the demos to send to the producers that produce, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but like yeah, so navigating that has been honestly really fun, kind of frustrating, but really fun once you <laughs> like get past the hurdles of like, okay, what am I doing? Like, where is this thing? Like, why is it? why isn't it working like you know so then you get over that and you're like okay cool so like i know i have i have the control now you know um so it's been i mean i i love learning things like i love learning new things especially when it comes to things that make my art art artist life easier so um yeah i love i love learning about daws and recording and like eqing and mixing and all that stuff like i i really do genuinely enjoy it um yeah, it's been good. It's been a good help.
0: Is it? So it sounds like you view it as fully um, integrated. Uh, I, I think it would be easy for a lot of people to imagine that trying to figure out, you know, digital audio workspaces are taken away from my practice time or my, you know, my my vocal ups or, or anything like uh, that. Is there a conflict there for you or do you see it all as one?
2: I really needed to train my brain to not think like that because i used to drive myself crazy with that (laughs) like i used to like like say for example i'm like okay i'm practicing i don't have a battery for my guitar and or or i need to change my strings or something like that like things that are like literally needed to make sound Mm -hmm. and i always saw that as such a waste because i'm like okay well i could be practicing like why i didn't i didn't a lot for this you know and but the reality of it is that like if you have broken strings you know or old old gross strings you're not making any progress you Mm. know you know and like also that in regards to like the idea of just like rest like that's just like so important that's something that i'm still trying to like teach myself like just things that you need to do that you might not seem that might not be like the active practice sessions or like the writing sessions like they all everything's important everything like is a part of the artist's journey and everything's a part of like just being productive in in your artistry so um it's all it's all it's all related it's all connected it's all it's all part of the same thing but i definitely had a hard time thinking that for a while
0: yeah and and to draw that circle a little wider uh, regarding things that all fit into this, you know, one goal of really being a successful artist. I'm thinking about activism. You know, Nina Simone famously said it's an artist's duty to reflect the times. But I've talked with so many artists, classical and otherwise, who feel like they want to focus on their art, that they shouldn't have to be expected to take a, an activist slant to, to their music, especially those of us who are Black, people of color, You know the way women have been marginalized in so many of our musical fields. I wonder what your thoughts are on that. Is your art ever pointed towards social change? Do you try to keep it separately? Is it a mix of the two?
2: Um, so none of my songs right now are like particularly pointed towards social change. It's something I'm obviously extremely passionate about for sure. Um, and I actually could see myself writing about it, writing about certain issues that I care about. Um, I think the, one of the reasons why I haven't is because, because they are so important to me, I feel extremely like perfectionist over it. Like I just want it to come off well and but still be like hard-hitting and you know just not I don't want to obviously I'm not afraid to say what I like want to say but I just want I just want it to I just want it to be really really good you know so but I also yeah I also like love the idea of more ma- people that are part of marginalized groups just feeling like they're free from that like obligation cuz it, it can feel a lot to, to a lot of people like an obligation to talk about like their their like social experiences and yeah. you know in this country in particular um and yeah i mean i think i think i think it's one thing to just want to pretend like it doesn't exist and there's another and it's another thing to be like okay well i should be able to like feel free to talk about whatever i want because that in and of itself is a protest Mm -hmm. um so yeah i think i think it's just good to check where you're actually coming from in regards to like why you're choosing to say things or why you're choosing not to say things you know um but when it comes to me um i yeah i don't have anything that's like a protest song yet but i actually would love to talk about specific acts, aspects of like my experience as a, as a black person, my, my specific experience, um, you know, especially growing up in like a predominantly white town.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I, that's, I have to have a lot of thoughts and feelings about that. So, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I wonder how, you know, the, the spaces in which you perform or the audiences that, Already exist in this type of music uh, relate to this conversation. You you mentioned that uh, you spent you know a lot of time opening for other artists, folk artists, and and that sort of thing. It's one thing you know. I'll, I'll take it back to classical here for a minute. If I go onto a concert hall stage and say something like "I'm rooting for everybody black," that's going <laughs> to be received different than it would at an R and B show or a hip hop show or, or something like that. I, I wonder how you are received. Um, by the audiences that you've been in front of considering the genre, considering the, uh, the aesthetic and considering the fact that you have a unique story as a black woman.
2: Yeah, that's right. No, cause I, I actually got, I got like a little, like a two second, like visual of like you going on to like an, like a R&B or like rap stage and you saying that and people would be like, yeah, like mm-hmm. <laughs> just, you know, so much applause, man. But like, um, I, think I definitely, especially when I was like, like 16, 17, I tried to like assimilate a lot more than I do now. Mm. Like now I don't care. But like when I was growing up, I think there were things that I like, like certain covers that I did that I was, that I just was like, I don't care. Like, you know, I, like, I know like the, the demographic that really celebrated folk in my hometown loves these types of covers solar and these types of covers because they're not going to know like the r&b artists that i grew up with so i'm gonna just make sure that i can like do something for them and in a way i think that's definitely like that kind of doesn't make sense because you know especially if i'm getting like paid for those gigs you know like like there's a specific crowd they came for a specific thing they just want to be entertained in their specific way Mm -hmm. but like you know i think looking back i definitely would have been a little more bold about like you know i would have presented on stage and like what i would have like saying about and everything um so yeah i mean if i were to go back and play shows and open for a folk artist, like you know like now um i think i would be a little more like unabashed about like like what i would like how i would just present myself and i also was just getting used to performing across the board too so that yeah. so that's a thing. but um yeah uh, sorry, I don't know if I like fully
0: answered your question. But. No, I I think so, and you know uh, the reason I ask is because I think there are so many assumptions that can be made from the audience about you know what artists are trying to put forward if they're trying to fit into a space if they're being unapologetically themselves. There there just seems to be <laughs> so many layers and so much noise, you know, that doesn't even really at the end of the day apply to the music. It just it applies to the space that the music is being made or the circumstances under which the music is being made.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It just applies to the space, not the music. That's so true. You know, <laughs> just like the, yeah, just the overall energy and not the actual like art that's being produced. Yeah. You
0: mentioned uh, rest earlier. I, I wonder what rest looks like for you, I mean, sure, you know, spending time in bed or streaming whatever you you want to stream. But I wonder how you really activate your rest toward you know not just not doing the work, but rejuvenating yourself so that when you come back, it's even better, even more stronger.
2: To be honest with you, that's something that I am still working on. But I think I've gotten a lot better at it um, recently, just out of, like, necessity, right? Because you literally go insane if you don't give yourself rest, right? I would love to just pack my schedules. Like, like I'm going to do this, 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 and this. I'm going to see this person. And then I'd be like, wow, why can't I, like, leave my, be- like, oh, my God. And my body would just feel so, it would just feel the weight of, like, the weeks that I, like, put it through, you know? And so I try to not do that anymore. Like, I try to just, like, you know, budget in the times to actually, like, rest like in the weeks um and so um what that looks like to me is like yeah like you know i i think some some forms of like netflix and stuff are like good for like winding down and everything i like to go on walks um i'm actually pretty big on meditation mm. um and i uh yeah stretching is good and um yeah just like sitting with me honestly i am also a person whenever i get Home from a place, and I don't need to immediately go to the next place. I'll just sit in my car. Um, My mom gets mad at me because I understand that as a woman, that's not the best thing to do. But I'll just make sure, like in the like the the neighborhoods surrounding, it's fine, Um, and always off the doors. But um, I I'll just like sit in my car and I'll just like really decompress and I'll just like take a moment to think about that specific day and the days that have happened and you know um, what I just haven't been able to process like if something happened that was like really good or really bad you know like what I what I just didn't allow myself time to like process and I'll just process it then and I'll you know um yeah honestly rest and like my my spirituality are pretty intertwined so like sometimes I'll like you know say a couple prayers um and that that helps too um and or I'll just do some deep breathing or I'll do some yoga like yeah, that's beautiful.
0: That's beautiful. You know, that that self-nurturing and self-love, as important as that is, uh, I think it has to spread to other people, especially collaborators. I noticed that uh, the music videos that you have on YouTube, it seems like there must be a team of people behind the scenes that that we don't see. I wonder how you manage that aspect of your work keeping everybody happy making sure you know the professional and personal relationships remain whatever they need to be you know for 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 everything to uh to to come to life in the way you want it to be how do how do you how do you handle that how do you uh, traverse that
2: yeah so um i've been really really fortunate to just have the like circumstances that I have for like my past music videos. I haven't had one in a in a minute since moving to Los Angeles because full transparency is sometimes my, my finances kind of went more towards like <laughs> like Los Angeles survival, right? Um yeah. but but I mean I like will make connections with people that are, you know, wanting to like make their portfolios a little more like better and then but so so they won't charge me or they'll charge me for like they Only charge me this much for like, you know, a video or a photo shoot or something. And I'm like, okay, amazing. And then they're usually like really good, you know, and they're in, and then I just keep that relationship. Um, but back when I was in Pennsylvania, I had friends that like were in like media departments, like at the school that I went to. And so I would like, you know, meet up with them and they would like shoot videos for me. Um, and um, the latest video I did that wasn't a lyric video was for my song Not the Same. And my friend, um was like just still getting used to the idea of like music videos and everything and uh i had and i got a bunch of like friends that like danced for fun basically um i mean one of them actually like minored in dance i believe um but like we it was just a bunch of people that were just very passionate about art right and i remember we drove from lancaster to philly which was normally like a little over an hour drive but it was blizzarding so it took longer and i was still determined because we reserved this specific space i was like i don't want to lose that money we're gonna go and everybody was okay with it so like um okay i i want to clarify i didn't force them to go but i was like i want to (laughs) go and they were like yeah we'll go and i'm like okay cool because i was driving so i guess they didn't care um but like yeah i don't know i've just gotten really lucky to find people that I consider my friends, um, that also happen to be talented in the ways that I'm looking for to, like, fill the holes in my, like, artist, uh, life and my artist needs, um, and so we just try and, like, look out for each other when it comes to that, but, um, yeah, I think, like, I do, like, I do consider them friends, and obviously, like, you know, I don't, you know, some of them I don't talk to, like, every day and everything, but, um, yeah, I just, like, you know, we have the hard conversations about like, well, like, first of all, like planning things and also just like, you know, any financial things, like we usually get that out of the way. I'm big on getting that out of the way before we even like start anything. Yeah. Cause if you like make the things and then, you know, sometimes, sometimes some like um, perspectives can like change and everything. And sometimes they can just kind of like, you know, even like warp some things and it's just like, okay, like, well, we, we went, we went through all this work. Like we kind of have to put it out. So we should figure this out, you know? And so it's easier to get that done before we even start anything. But, um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've learned a lot of like hard lessons, um, by like, like creating relationships with like videographers and, um, dancers and like photographers. Um, honestly, like, you know, I've definitely learned a lot of hard lessons, but I mean, I feel like I'm in a Good headspace to deal with those relationships now. So
0: you have me thinking about that uh sometimes problematic word exposure. You know, it's one thing for a friend to, you know, for, for you to go to a friend and say, Hey, you know, will you help me on this video? I'll be sure to credit you and X, Y, and Z. It seems like on the other side, as the artist, that conversation has to be a little different. It's not you know just a matter of exposure when it comes to really being able to eat off of your music at the same time exposure through collaborations especially with friends can be beneficial and and important i, I wonder how you balance that specifically from the artist's perspective
2: yeah um yeah exposure it's
0: like <laughs> it's important <laughs> but it's it's not the only thing
2: it's not the only thing it was for sure a trigger word um <laughs> but um Yeah, I like, I mean, you know, when I was like very much first starting out and I was working with people that were also very much first starting out, exposure was fine. That's all we needed. Yeah. We just needed not even exposure, like practice. Like, you know, I would have people be like, hey, can I practice making a music video with you? And I'd be like, yeah you know because if it works out it works out great we have a music video if it doesn't that's okay because no money was talked about because they've literally never done this before or they've only done this like once or twice um but like yeah i mean the conversation around exposure is different now like even if somebody were to come up to me And you know, be like, hey, like I'm, you know, trying to build my portfolio. I'm gonna offer you like either free or really discounted music video. Um, and I looked at their work, and because I I want like a certain standard now. So like if Mm. if they meet that standard, I don't feel right like paying them what they would ask for meeting like that specific standard. You know, um, you know, I just I think it's important. I I want to make sure everybody's taken care of. I think everybody should look out, like should have you know like fairness overall
1: yeah
2: um had this one friend that made really really great like content and she would just like charge me so little and i would always overpay her not even overpay like i would pay her what she actually was worth um Mm -hmm. and she's like why are you paying me i'm like no because you make the good things especially because you're a woman like you have you have to be more sometimes it sucks but you have to be more like aggressive when it comes to what your actual like numbers should be. And I don't think yep. she, and we just, we're just like, I don't think we were even out of college at that point. And so I don't think she really had a lot of experience with like, you know, what rates should actually look like as a, as a videographer, but she like directed things. She like made a full storyboard. And she, she, then the content and like the whole, the, the products were always amazing and she just wouldn't charge me anything at all just like no like you know so i mean on the same way that i try to not get ripped off like i try to just also make sure other people aren't getting ripped off too like i think it's just important that we all look out for each other you know um
0: you're you're bringing up something else that's really important that there's so many points in my career where after the contract is signed or after you know the the work is done where i get the feedback and you know you really could charge more for for what you're doing or you know your your fee could could be higher i I won't ask you necessarily what your fee is but how do you um how how do you determine what is fair for you how do you make sure that you aren't ripping yourself off
2: um it's honestly it's hard (laughs) like i still um There's some aspects where I mean, because everything's different. Like you know, like different. There's always different factors, and there's always different things. Like okay, like like I'm not gonna charge as much for playing like an hour set than if I were to, I don't know, play like three hours, like blindfolded on top of something weird. You know what I mean? Like it's like like there's so many different factors. So, um, yeah. I mean, I live in LA, so I will always take that into account um and i think that's important for people to to do as well um and uh um i mean i'll also take account what the other person is budgeting like for example if somebody were to ask me to like you know record something for like a small business and they were based out of like a small midwestern town and like this is their small midwestern budget i'm not going to bankrupt them. I don't yeah. think that's fair. I don't think that's fair to them. I just think both I think both parties needs should definitely be, you know, taken care of and everything. Um yeah, I mean a lot what I'll do is I'll ask I'll ask like I'll ask my mom a lot because you know I'm like, hey, like, you know, should I charge this? And she's like, and she'll have to say like yes or no. Um and that helps. Um and then just like working with people that I guess really cared about me when I was younger. And you know, they'd be like, oh what's your rate. And then I would be like, I don't know this. And they're like, okay, no, like, you know, this is, this is what you should charge. And I'd be like, okay. And I just take their word for it. And the more people that I would like talk to about that, um, you know, the more I just kind of like found a way to make my own numbers. Yeah. (laughs) Just, I guess, just from like taking from different um, perspectives, you know, and just like seeing what that is, what that looks like to me. So
0: yeah, my, my trick has been, you know, when I get the question, also, oh, what's your fee? I return. Well, what's your budget, and let's let, let's start. Yeah, with how much yeah, money I'll, I have. <laughs>
2: I'll. I'll do the what's your budget question a lot. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you you mentioned your mom. I I can't help but to ask. Maybe at some point there will be the uh, Kiana and Maria collab. Have you have you ever thought about something like that?
2: I don't know what that would look like. I mean, our styles are so drastically different, but I mean, I'd be down. I mean, she's my mom. mom would, <laughs> I, would, I would love that. The closest we've ever gotten to that was um, I had a senior recital in college and she. Oh, my God. Oh, OK. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I'm just remembering this now. There was a snow day. Um, so we were like in the house together and uh, I had I was preparing for my senior recital and I wanted her to play for me, like on one song, um, but I wanted it to be enjoyable for her, you know? So I was like, can you make an arrangement of Deep River? Like, that's my favorite spiritual.
1: Mm.
2: And she was like, yeah, I'll work on it. And then I think she just got, sometimes she just gets really into things and she gets to a point where she's like, no, okay, like I'm I'm into this, the flow is, the flow is happening, I'm gonna finish it. And so she was like, yeah, I'll work on it. And I was like, okay, cool. And I went upstairs. And like, I think an hour and a half had passed and she was like, okay, here's the first draft. And I was like, <laughs> what? I guess we were all stuck in the house. So maybe she had plans that she just couldn't do anymore. Um, but she like finished it that day. I mean, there were like little tweaks and things that happened over the months to come, but like, did a whole arrangement that day. And I was like, okay, cool and then we performed it and she had our friend play on cello and it was like a really nice moment so i'd be i'd be open to doing more things like that with her absolutely so
0: did you ask her the budget question or did she ask you the budget question
2: <laughs> yeah we don't we don't ask each other the budget question <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's that's probably for the best so what do yeah. you have uh coming up what what's on what what's in your digital audio workspace right now that you're putting together
2: so um, along from my along with myself, I also write for other artists and I collaborate and I co-write for their for their songs, which I realize that I really love doing. Um, so I have um some things coming out um with artists that I'm like really excited about. Um, and so, yeah, a couple of different projects that are going to be released pretty soon. um and so, but then for me, um I'm finally, just getting back. I, I had, I released my, my latest single is Bottled Up. I released it um, dramatically enough on Valentine's day. And then, um, the next ones will, I, I'm hoping to just have like a more regular release schedule. Um, and so I'm right now I'm like back into that sessions for myself and, you know, um, just making. So, you know just making songs and then um and then i'm hopefully going to just kind of release them like you know back to back to back um you know with a couple of weeks in between and yeah so that's that's my goal i want to just get back on like a regular you know release schedule because the only reason i released bottled up and didn't hold on to it is because um i just wanted to re- release it on valentine's day um but yeah so did
0: I- bottled up bottled up I think that's cool.
2: <laughs> I did not bottle up, bottle up. You're right.
0: <laughs> I, I'm glad you mentioned that. I wanted to wrap up with a question about that tune, but before I ask you, how can people keep up with you and to uh, learn more about what you're doing?
2: Um, so I have, yeah, I have a Spotify. Well, I have, I have like all the different um, things you can listen to music. Um, it's like Kiana Corley, K-I-A-N-A, C-O-R, L-E-Y, um, and then. Yeah. And then I also Kiana Corley music on literally everything. So um, uh, Instagram, uh, TikTok, if you're on TikTok, um, Facebook, I'm not on Facebook that much, but I do post, um, you know, the highlights of things. Um, Yeah.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Well, you know, I, I have spent a little bit of time with Bottled Up and one of the phrases, one of the lyrics you use is I find it really compelling. You say, can I find the one to embrace every piece of me? Do you feel like there's space as far uh, as your uh, musical output for you to be embraced holistically? What is that space look like if it doesn't exist what does it look like for you to create that space where you can be fully you and you can be embraced for being fully you
2: i love that question um i think that space looks like um just not like expecting me to sound certain ways you know and musically just in general across the board just not expecting things from me from seeing like you know oh my name and or my face or just anything you know like i would love to walk into a room and not have to just already mold myself to people's expectations like unnaturally Mm. um yeah that's that's what that's my perfect
1: world honestly (laughs) Twenty-something, tell me something What am I doing here? I keep searching for satisfaction That isn't here. Free-falling into the clouds But I don't ever reach the ground Maybe I could float if I could set One boundary for myself Didn't know I would grow up this fast Shut down, my walls out of stone or glass So oh.
0: Track there called Young and Wild by Kiana Corley. You can uh, check that out on uh, YouTube. If you just search Kiana Corley, K-I-A-N-A Corley, it'll come up. She has a really great Instagram as well. Just some really smooth sounds, some honest sounds. Uh, You know, at my old age of 36, uh, lyrics that just remind me of my youth, lyrics that affirm the youth of today uh, and does it all in a very American classical style. huge shout out and thanks to Kiana Corley for joining me here on the Triloquy podcast. Hope y'all will go check out her music and go support what she is up to. All right. Well, uh, I'm not going to keep you too much longer, but I do have a short little Triloquy that I wanted to share with you. So um, as many of y'all know, I do work um, in radio and I never left the the radio world, even though NPR tried it with me, but (laughs) I'm I'm very fortunate to um, have specials running all across the country, some outside of the United States. Um, and for one of them that I was working on recently, uh, I was on the internet, you know, really trying to find some information about this artist. I really uh, value platforming, you know, not just historically marginalized artists and composers, but people who are alive and breathing today that could reap the benefits of of uh, of, of that sort of platforming. So anyway, I'm searching on the internet for one artist who I will not name, uh, looking for information on them, you know, something that uh, I can share with the audiences that I'm targeting, and over and over again, I'm just seeing basically a resume list, this uh, idea that the professional bio has to just be compiled of a list of accomplishments based on, you know, colonized thinking, based on, you know, what uh, a job might be looking for when it comes to, you know, your past successes and and that sort of thing. You know, in particular, I think I was just looking for where this artist was from, you know, where, where, where they grew up. So, you know, I posted something on uh, Facebook. I basically said, "Look, I appreciate you know everyone listing their predominantly white institution successes in your professional bio, but it's okay to list things like where you're from." Now, the the point was made that a lot of people don't want to share that information because of whatever reason, and that's fine. But you know, just to be clear, my point is that. A person's story is more than what other people say about a person's story. And I'll even, you know, uh, cr- critique myself here. I'm, I'm live at LokiKaruna.com. The first sentence of my bio is a proud native of Memphis, Tennessee. Loki Karuna, formerly Garrett McQueen, is a bassoonist who has performed with all these orchestras that I list. So I think the laundry list is a thing for, for many people. Um, but, you know, what else? Can we say where we're from? Can we say what drives our passions for music? Can we we talk about the things that those of us who aren't on a job search committee care about? I hope that we can all think about that, whether you're an artist or not. We need to get used to telling our own stories and telling our stories in a way that we want to tell them. Again, this show, this, this podcast, triloquy, is all about decolonizing classical music. So to decolonize classical music, we have to decolonize our thinking. We have to decolonize our bodies, the way that we feel like we have to dress in certain spaces, the way that we have to speak in certain spaces. So I'm gonna really, I'm challenging each and every one of you this week. If you're if you're listening to this, if you are in 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 my uh if if I'm in your ears right now, think about ways that. You can incrementally or radically move away from colonized thinking when it comes to the way we market ourselves or the way that we introduce ourselves. You know, If you're at a party or a mixer or a, or a professional gathering, what if the first question instead of, oh, so what do you do for work? What if the first question was, what makes you happy or what made you happy today? I think as we move forward, we, again, we have to continue to critique ourselves and critique those around us and figure out how we can remove the colonized thinking from the way that we uh, interact with the world and certainly the way that we interact with this energy. I'm going to take the time to take a fine-tooth comb through my bio to see if I can't uh, decolonize it a bit more. Uh, maybe go through your closet today or <laughs> or, or go through your uh, contact list, go through your social media. Let's do the work that we can as individuals to decolonize. Again, it's, it's, it's um, so much of this reminds me of my Buddhist practice, you know we always say everything begins with self your universe the world that you live in the world that you experience is a reflection of you and your life and your mind your life condition so we all have circumstances and things that uh, we we can't control you know many of us are Going to nine to fives, maybe some people who don't love those nine to fives. You know, there are some people with different abilities or or other challenges in this world. But the what what we do with what we have is really what matters. So we have life. We have the opportunity to decolonize uh, our thinking around classical music, around our our everyday life. You know, even if you don't work in classical music, there's uh, decolonization to be done. So again, I challenge each and every one of you this week to. Think about the ways in which you are presenting yourself to the world, to constituents, to people who you are hoping to hire you, and see if you can't decolonize that approach even just a little bit. This is going to take all of our work, but I believe that we can do it. Thank you so much once again for supporting and listening to this podcast. I always appreciate having you here each and every week, and I will talk to you again next week. See you then.